Hello and welcome to Sporecast, a Canadian podcast discussing patient-oriented research, research done in partnership with patients. I'm Beverly Pomeroy. And I'm Lisa Ridgway. And we are patient partners who sit on a variety of patient councils and advisory groups, all with the vision to encourage research to answer research questions that matter to patients and aim to improve healthcare. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will be inspired to get involved and create your own impact in order to support healthcare research be more relevant and meaningful. Please enjoy the show. Well, welcome to another episode of Sporecast, Lisa. This has been quite the day at the Sylvia. Wow, Bev, I couldn't have imagined it would ever play out like it was. And we have yet another spectacular guest lined up to tell us about herself and tell us about her POR world. And we have Caroline Canfield, and Caroline's with us in person. This ah! is like a novel concept for us. Usually everything's done remotely. <laughs> so, Caroline, thank you so much for being here. And I kind of want to, like, explain who you are and, and what you are, but, I mean, you just do so many things. So maybe you can kind of explain to our listeners, we all know who you are. Uh, I'm still learning what you do, but um, we know you're an adjunct professor at UBC. We know you're a huge patient advocate. Yes. So maybe just explain a little bit about your, for lack of a better word, title or working title, I guess. Thanks, Bev, and thanks, Lisa. It's an incredible privilege to be here and uh, help support the, the beginning steps of Sporecast. Uh, I think this is a brilliant innovation. I can't wait to hear the next episodes myself. Yay. <laughs> so... Um, the title that I put on my own forehead, and I have from the beginning, is citizen patient, mm. and usually prefixed with independent. Um, I'm not really a joiner, despite the fact that I'm associated with all kinds yeah. of organizations and structures, wow. but uh, independent citizen patient suits me. Okay. I'm self-directed. I don't report to anyone else. I decide what I want to get into and what I want to step away from and what do I want to learn how to do in the future. So uh, citizen patient, what does that mean? Well, I come with a patient perspective. I actually have had incredibly good health, mm -hmm. but it's the perspective of the user of the healthcare system that I want to champion. Mm -hmm. And uh, the citizen part is really important to me. And what I mean by that is uh, living in a society that has great healthcare is the place I want to be. Yes. That's, that's my goal. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's an act of citizenship to contribute as a volunteer, Canadians, you know, Canadian society lives on volunteers. Yes. That's the way we function, whether it's rural, urban, wherever. Um, and that voluntary spirit is what drives me. And so I come into healthcare wanting to make change, wanting to see it develop in advance, to be more sensitive to the patient perspective. But I do it with uh, uh, this foundational democratic commitment. Yes. I, I, it's, it's a privilege to be able to get into the halls of decision-making, mm. but it's also my right as a citizen to be active. Wow. Yeah. That so, yeah. is an amazing charter, an independent citizen patient. Yeah. From patient and now to professor. Do you want the story? <laughs> I do. I do. We I all want to know the story. So, I want to know, did you get like the Nobel Peace Prize telephone call? What? How? 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 Oh, man. You know, it, being independent, you have to create your own future. Right. We all know that. You step into the volunteer world and you say, so how am I going to make a difference? What do I do? Yeah. 
And uh, the background of my story, which I think is something you'd also like to hear a little bit about, is uh, 11 years ago, my husband died for all the wrong reasons, um, mm. oh. only eight days after successful surgery. And it was a surprise oh. to his caregivers, as it was to me. And, uh, but wow. the big surprise was within the hours and weeks that followed. Um, I came to the hospital. His nurses were devastated. Oh. Uh, I consoled them and said, you mm. know, where there's life, there's death and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And that Nick had had a wonderful life. But um, in the weeks that followed, I learned that there was not to be any case review, that there was no curiosity about why this person died. I'd given my approval for uh, an autopsy, but yes. it was not to trigger any learning. Hmm. And that did not fit with my mental model of medicine. Wow. Uh, I knew that everybody who was in sort of heading for for medicine or nursing was uh, working in the lab late at night when I was yeah. in university and I was having fun in the in the student union. <laughs> uh, but they were trying to get straight A's, so that com that that compulsion for excellence yes. was there. And then I was in this environment where people kind of shrugged and said, oh, Carolina happens every day. And I thought, well, man, if it happens every day, why is nothing being done? Exactly. Yeah. So... I knew nothing about healthcare. I knew nothing about medicine, the concept of patient safety. Like, what? Patients might be unsafe? What is this? Wow. Yeah. So I was curious, and I had a few encouraging people at the outset who kind of poked me in the right direction. Where can I learn? Because I think all of us who are involved in partnerships yes. as lay people, where do you learn? Like, yeah. it's really, what question do you ask Google? to yeah. understand how Canadian healthcare is structured, yeah. right? It, like the answers are really hard to find. So I wanted to know what's wrong with healthcare, who makes those decisions, and how can I influence them? That was mm. my starting point. Um, and over, a year and a half later, after Nick's death, I was facing my 60th birthday, and I thought, do I have the courage to try to actually do something? Huh. Mm. Like I've been kind of asking questions and finding out stuff, but do I have the courage to commit? Uh, I I need to learn, 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 and I've got a network. This yes. is going to be massive. Yeah. So as I turned 60, I made the decision to dedicate 10 years of my life to try to make a difference. Make a difference. Wow. And it was the Rabbi Hillel thing. If not you, then who? who if else? not now, yeah. then when? Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I've got no dependents. I don't have to look after anybody. I don't care about my indoor plants. <laughs> you, you're downsizing. You're downsizing. And, and so I have the freedom to not be accountable to anybody but my own curiosity. Mm. So that's what I've done. And I'll be turning 70 this January. No. Wow. And, uh, yes. it's, so it's 10 years of uh, this passion to learn, to network, to make a difference in healthcare. Promise me now, there'll be another 10. Well, we'll see. I mean, I know stuff happens as you age, and I've got lots of friends in their 80s who are still patient partners, so uh, I know there's a future. But how did I get to be uh, adjunct professor is so related to this. Um, so I kept asking for advice. I would go up to important people yes. as I encountered them, and I'd say, what should I be reading? Mm. What should I be learning about? Fantastic. And um, I knew that a lot of learning in healthcare happens in conferences. So I'd write to conference organizers and say, dear conference organizer, I see you have a conference about quality improvement. Um, judging what's good quality care is yes. sort of a patient perspective. I hope you have some patients who are attending if you'll allow me to introduce myself. And then I'd, for you. And this was a long time ago. And I'd say, uh, um, I'd like you to pay for my registration, for my housing, for my transportation to get to your, uh, to your site. And people actually, a few people actually did. It Yay, was amazing. That's all you need. You just need one. It was the courage to ask 
yeah. openly and say, here's what I'm going to offer you. I don't you. know, you said. I and don't know. Here's what I'm going to offer you, though, for a patient perspective that's going to help your company. And here's what I'll take away. Okay. And, um, and so I read about, this is, you know, a number of years of this sort of stuff, getting involved with amazing people and having joined Patient Voices Network in BC. Um, I read about a conference out at UBC that was, uh, it was about uh, personalized medicine. Okay. And I didn't, I looked in the fine print and it was genomics and a bunch of stuff I don't know anything about. And I thought, <laughs> I should know about it. And then I thought, I said, I, there's a free lunch and there's no registration fee. This sounds good. It's an all day <laughs> conference. And it's, and you get sandwiches. Well, well, this is it. There's food. But, but I thought, if they're going to call it personalized medicine, I bet there's not a person in the room. They're going to be a bunch of pointy-headed specialists, people who are in their silo. And I, like, let's not, let's not overstate the case of yeah. what personalized medicine is. So I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn. Well, it was a fantastic conference. There were ethicists there and people wow. talking about the legal aspects around um, uh, genomic information. And then a lot, some true... Uh, uh, research scientists in molecular medicine looking wow. at, at the genomics. So I learned a hell of a lot. Kept my powder dry. The last, after the last speaker spoke in the last panel, I went up to the microphone. I thanked, I, I introduced myself. Good for you. And, uh, and I said, uh, I wanted to take issue with uh, a comment that one of the presenters, the second to last presenter had made, which was, um, you know, uh, talking about the difficulty of getting funding to help family practitioners interpret the kind of of uh, genetic reports like 23andMe that patients bring in, you know, doctor, yeah. doctor, I have a 15% increased likelihood of osteoarthritis. Uh, what do we do? Right. Well, you know, what does the family doctor say? So I said, look, if you want funding from government, it really helps if you can demonstrate that there's a public interest in spending those tax dollars mm. in that direction. Got it. I'm the only uh, citizen patient in this room don't you think that this whole concept of personalized medicine would be strengthened if you had populations of patients and persons. family members, persons who um, can give you the political strength of that argument for funding? Wow. Well, <laughs> that speaker came up to me afterwards. He says, we should talk. And I said, sure. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was in his office. He was the head of the Department of Family Practice at the time, Martin Dawes. And uh, uh, about 10 minutes into our discussion, he had his research as uh, assistant there, research coordinator there, and she was taking notes madly. And I said to her, I'm glad someone's writing this down because we're really getting along. Well. And, um, and before the end of the conversation, he said, would you like a desk? Oh. And I said, yes, because of course I said yes. And I had no idea. What, would I, I, what were you I saying? Said, so, your desk. so they gave me a desk. So I started coming into the office. I had a desk. I had a bookshelf. I said, that's where I can put my books and my paper. Wow. This is so cool. This is recognition. So I went in to see Martin a few days later and I said, Martin, um, you know what I really want is a library card. Because the, oh, to get access to peer-reviewed journals are those yeah. huge barriers. And you know, here I am in the Department of Family Practice, but it's actually the university library electronically that yeah. I want access yes. to. Yes. I said, well, I'm sure we can do something Let about that. In. See my, see my uh, administrator. So I went to the departmental administrator 
And I said the same thing. I'd like to have library access. Martin said, you know, you, you might be able to do something. She said, oh, sure. We'll just make you faculty. Yay. <laughs> is, that how it, is that how it works? That's I truly, didn't realize. Yeah, exactly. I didn't now, realize that's how it works. I, I don't want to commit the Department of Family Practice of having an open door for this or any other university Because you know department. we're all going to go knocking on their door you now. Bet. That's right. You bet. But it just shows what um, curiosity and openness does. I mean, I attended that conference because I wanted to know, I wanted mm, to learn. Of course. And I was respectful and I didn't go to the microphone at the beginning saying, why are you guys calling it personalized when I'm the only person in the room? You know, I kept my powder dry, as I say. Yes. So there is this um, strategic uh, uh, learning path that pays extraordinary dividends. Yes. And one of the, the big ideas I have to offer to our listeners is there is that that coming into partnership is a two-way street yes and we i i have come into this with incredible humility i come from the old school of you know the doctor is the authority and always right the best patient is the obedient patient mm -hmm. and uh, compliance is sort of the gold standard and all that and and i know that that's my sort of hardwired prejudice from childhood that's yes. growing up in the 1950s but but today, I also recognize the dynamic nature of most healthcare. We self-manage. Yes. For heaven's sakes, we're the ones who own the ill health. And we have to self-advocate now, too. Well, we've got to navigate through an increasingly complex world. And, um, and when we talk about research, you know, the old, the old saw that is really driving SPORE and the, the worldwide momentum around patient-oriented research is let's do research that matters to patients. Absolutely. Like, let's pick the priorities that are important to patients, and you can't actually design those projects unless you hear from patients what are the outcomes Absolutely. that matter, what's the strategy for designing the intervention that makes some sense to patients, and so on and so on. So you've been very so polite in your you're questioning super polite walking and in. your curiosity. You walk in with complete, I mean, uh, I'm deferential probably to a flaw, uh, but I, I walk in the room grateful to be there absolutely and then my curiosity takes over <laughs> yes and i figure out i try to figure out again quite strategically how can i ask a question in a way that's meaningful not make a speech at the microphone yeah, no. but ask a question that is meaningful to the professionals but that absolutely changes the power of, of, the, of the, the the sort of status quo power. Mm -hmm. um, so it illuminates the power issues, but gets at something substantively helpful for whether it's the instructor or the researcher or the improvement scientist, whatever it is. Um, so I want to give a reward to the professional partners who yes. take us on. Yes. But I want to make sure they understand that this is a reciprocal relationship mm -hmm. um, with respect street. and humility on both sides. Yes. And I think, I mean, that's a conversation that we've talked about a, a lot, and I've kind of bumped up against it quite often this last year in yes, some of my experiences, in that um, my soapbox is about having patient partners or caregivers, whatever name you want to put on it, in positions of leadership. And not leadership over, but leadership with, which sounds similar to what, what you were talking about. And I know quite often as a patient partner you come in, I think, whether it's generational, whether it's cultural, whether it's just lived experience or learned experience yes. for healthcare providers or health, health clinicians, is that they, I find sometimes you do get that pushback. Yes. You know, I'm coming into it with curiosity. I think I say it on every episode. 
I'm curious. I want to know more. I want to know how I can contribute to my community to ensure that other people maybe don't have the same suffering that my family went through and, yes. and that I didn't have a medical error, you know, in my experience, but we suffered greatly right. and it could have been uh, mitigated and there were things that could have been done better, yes. right? Even though my experience for all intents and purposes was, was relatively without fault, right? In the whole process. So I guess that's one of my questions is, is, you know, this pushback on patient partners in positions of leadership, like what, what does that look like? Cause we look at you and we think you're in a position of leadership and this is how you've come into it. A lot of us are coming into it with that curiosity. So how do we then build capacity and understanding that that's, that's how we can all play together in the sandbox? I think one of the, the, well, there are a lot of keys. Uh, one is curiosity about what makes healthcare tick, mm -hmm. like trying to figure out again, who, who makes decisions? What makes them make decisions? Mm -hmm. What are the drivers? Yes. And and trying to add to it, trying to help, you know, work with that system. We're not going to change by pushing it over. No. Yeah. The reason we get pushback is we're threatening, right? We're threatening to their status quo, to their sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. So there is, there's so much room for mutual sharing and to kind of change it to a circle, yeah. right? Rather yeah. than a person at the head of the table. Um, the, the whole issue of, of what leadership is is kind of interesting. I mean, I so I know that people put, point to me as a leader because I can say that I'm a co-founder of a couple of organizations mm -hmm. that are really important. One is this, this steep curve of learning. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to do something about that because um, I had so many advantages. Oh, my God. You know, I knew how to use a computer. I knew how to use Google. Yeah. I knew how to do research. I knew how to write. I was not afraid of big crowds. I wasn't afraid of going to somebody important and tugging on their sleeve saying, will you give me some advice? Um, I have, I come from a privileged background yes. of great education and I'm articulate and I know all that crap. But the thing is to make healthcare succeed, we need everyone's voice. Yeah. Yes. We need all voices. And there's something in community work that I learned a long time ago, which is strength and diversity. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that that really is the only place there is strength is having many voices. Yeah, I absolutely. know I'm a faux patient. I don't manage symptoms that get in my way. I've been <laughs> yeah. a patient, of course, and, yeah. you know, I'm a cancer survivor and a bunch of other things, but I don't have to self-manage in a way that gets in the way of the work I do. That's not true for some of the voices yeah. that struggle absolutely to, yeah. to be heard. So um, so for me, looking at where the decision-making and the structural power is, I mean, I'm a systems looker, uh, uh, thinker, and it's like, I actually don't like the patient narrative. I know that, that gets, yeah. I tell lots of stories, but, but there's so much abuse of the patient story yeah. that yes. I... I I'm much more interested in how the system is structured. How do we get from A to B? How do yes. we get from here yeah. to a more open and welcoming environment yeah. for patient partners? One of the, the, um, the initiatives that I am very proud of is the Patient Advisors Network. Mm -hmm. Now, patient is not the right word and advisor isn't the right word, but network is. Yes. Yeah. And we knew that from the beginning when we wrote our manifesto that the language was getting in our way. Pan. But the whole, pan. But the whole point of pan is to enable people to learn from each other. Yes. And we can, we as experienced, more experienced in some areas, can help people who are less yeah. experienced in those areas. We can provide that welcoming entry to find your voice. Yes. To find out how to confront someone who is terrified of you. Mm -hmm. You know, how to change that in a way that gets the results that we want to have 
have come. Can I can I ask you a question? We, we try and focus on patient-oriented research, yep. and there's always at least one yep. provocative question in our sporecast, and here it is. Okay. What if what if a researcher feels like a healthcare researcher, a clinician, somebody in academia feels that they have to dumb down research to make sense to patient partners on the research team? I mean, there is that paper that's just recently come out of Sweden that says scientific results can be sacrificed by collaborative efforts. <laughs> I, I haven't read the paper, and I would love to, because I'm sure that there's some opportunities to pick it apart and to show the blinders well, that are on. a paywall, so you'll probably I'll, have access no before us. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually happy to share it with you. Um, anybody who's listening to this, write to me, and I'll share any document they want. Um, but uh, So I love the question. Um, let's imagine the challenge that it is for a person with a chronic condition to dumb down their diagnosis, mm. their experience with symptoms, their self-management, and their prospects for the sake of the researcher. Right. Like, what, what does it take to be a knowledge translator of the lived experience for a research team who has said, well, you've got, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. We, we'd like you on our project. The deadline's tomorrow. Would you sign this... Uh, this um, consent form or something. Or this, this letter of support uh, yes. as a knowledge user. And, you know, the patient partner is thinking, well, this is not starting out the best <laughs> way uh, as an equal partnership. But what are the challenges for that person in that first project meeting where the research problem has already been defined and mm -hmm. uh, it's the continuation of somebody's career? So we know who's in charge here. And how do, how do I, as a person with rheumatoid arthritis, contribute in a way that's meaning, how do I translate, yes. dumb down yes. the struggles since I was diagnosed at 14 uh, with this researcher's concept yes. of what's important in rheumatoid arthritis? Right. So I, I think it's, uh, it's hugely a two-way street. And as I say, it's about humility mm. and respect. Uh, we know one of the most serious issues in patient safety and the delivery of care is communications. Yes. This is where tragedy happens is when communications fall down, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. So it's no less important to learn how to listen actively yes. in research than it is in, in practice, in practice delivery uh, of, of health services. In research... Defining the priorities, the, the kind of work that the James Lind Alliance has done in, in the UK and, and we've done in Canada, um, in Alberta Health Services, there's been some brilliant James Lind type um, uh, processes to identify research priorities. Okay. And there are other examples across the country of engaging people with lived experience to identify what's important and how to do it. Yes, right so from we, the get-go. Yeah, exactly. And we have brilliant programs um, coming out again from Alberta. Mm -hmm. uh, the the Pacer program. Yeah, we were, yes. talk, we were just talking to Susanna. She's going to be on Great. one of episodes. Well, yeah. it's, you know, I, I get to travel the world uh, in some amazing environments of research. And uh, uh, and I'm dropping the, the Pacer word all the time and uh, <laughs> offering copies of past reports because they are such a revelation to researchers. Mm. You know, it's those of us who have been patient partners have heard from our partners often at the end of a project you know, after this experience, I'm never going to do my work any other way. This has mm. been so brilliant. An epiphany. Yes, it's absolutely an epiphany. So I think that the same thing can happen 
if we can only spread the news through things like the PACER reports. Yes. Um, so they've now, uh, PACER has published some, some excellent projects in international journals, and it's way easier to say, here's where you can read about this kind of transformative partnership research. Um, we know in Canada there's an accusation that, uh, I forget what the, there, there, there's some cute phrase about it, but the gap between uh, research project and actually making a difference in the world. The mm. pilot project, then this big sag where the pilot is not abandoned. the valleys of death. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> so, so that's what we're trying to close. And Canadian Institutes for Health Research is trying to. There's four initiatives that yes. are trying to get more closely coupled with practice. Yes. So the researchers aren't out there on a on a on Mars while the action's happening. You know, on Venus. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so. You know, I think that patients, me, I can bring those, I can bring those hills together. Like, there I am, I, I'm talking to people in Norway in March, and I'm saying, hey, you ought to be reading about what these guys in, all, in, in Alberta are doing. Fantastic. And then I can introduce you to each other. Mm. Let me, can I do an email introduction? And here, here, read this, and I can give them the PDF for the article, or I can give them the citations, or, you know, suggest that yes. they fall. So... I'm the person who's connecting. It's coming down People, to human interaction. It is. And, you know, not everybody gets to travel, but we do through the magic of electronics can be anywhere on this planet. Mm. And uh, I think one of our jobs as patient collaborators is to ensure that in Canada, because I don't think SPORE does this very well, in Canada, we can join up projects that ought to know about each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think one of the difficulties with, with the way research is funded here is it's competitive. So we have great mm -hmm. research projects that are competing against each other yeah. uh, for the funds, for limited funds. Yeah. And the incentives to find collaborations across provinces um, don't always serve people's professional career needs. Yes. Yeah. So we've got a problem with the way great research is rewarded in terms of career stability, yes. you know, tenure and in academic institutions and so on. And big grants, five-year yeah. grants. Yeah, so people like us, patients like us, we can do a huge service by trying to break apart those traditional self-isolation, you know, the, the careerists, and say, you know, it's not okay to be a careerist. You have to share your knowledge with people who are studying the same stuff because yeah. you know what? It's actually about the lived experience of patients now and in the future. Yeah. That's who we're trying to benefit. And two is better than one. And four is better God, than yes. two. And six, you know, I, I just, I really believe that really strongly too. And I think even as we're sort of venturing into this world of being a patient advocate, uh, you know, and meeting each other, I mean, I'm learning so much from everybody else. And I just think, wow, like the impact that we can have as a collective. And then if we partner with like the Aaron Mahalik's of the world and, you know, other people who believe in that collective voice, the sharing. the sharing, the human to human, which really at the end of the day is what this is all about. Well, and, and Sporecast is a perfect example of you multiplying the effect of your great conversations with people. Well, this has been it's a brilliant. great conversation. And I want to ask <laughs> you to if you have any questions for us. I do. And that is... What is uh, Sporecast's goal? Wow. <laughs> I thought it was the double-double at the end of the day, yeah. but I think it's bigger than that. Bev, I'm going to hand that one to you. I don't know. I think at first I think it was a way for Lisa and I to uh, have shared voice because I think we both have a lot to say. 
and to uh, leverage our relationships. I think we're both tapped into a lot of different things. Um, I think at the end of the day, for me, it is about capacity building. So staying curious, you know, which we have in our conversations and forecast, but sharing that knowledge, sharing our connections right now, people know who you are, if they didn't know before and where to find you and what you can do to help them. So for me, I think that's it. And maybe this sounds, you know, off on, you know, out in left field, but it really is to make, to make a difference. And I think for me, with my lived experience, um, and that, again, to go back to that trauma and to go back to that suffering, you know, I lost my daughter at the age of 16. And so I think, um, for me, it's about finding purpose in that suffering. I don't want anybody else to go through what I went through. And if I can have an impact on just even just one person out there to know that there are people that are here to make a difference, then that's kind of, that's my, that's my goal. It's actually kind of simple at me in the end. I'm hugging you. People can't see this on Sportcast, but I'm giving you that virtual hug. And the thing that is so ennobling about that is that through all of that suffering, you maintained a sense of wonder and curiosity. And several years later, you're able to shine that light on yourself, self-reflect and say, mm-hmm. I am still strong. And I think that's what's interesting in this room. All three of us have had loss. You've lost your brother Brother. after trying, you know, everything within yourself, you know, to, to have him, True. you know, so I mean, it's the same, it goes for all of us. We're we're all in this space for the exact same reason, out of a sense of loss and maybe out of a sense of duty space it is. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Caroline. I'm kind of leaving on the, on that kind of a note, but I just think it's been an extraordinary conversation and I just want to keep talking more. more Absolutely. But we do have to go for that (laughs) double, double at Timmy's and at least a Timbit. At least a Timbit. I'll give myself that. So thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you, Caroline Canfield. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Well, that was an incredible Sporecast interview with Caroline Canfield, newly Uh, made adjunct professor at uh, the Faculty of Medicine at UBC. I know, like her story and how she got there, it just shows you that persistence and tenacity as a patient partner is kind of a key uh, part of the personality, for sure. And then that whole piece about being an independent citizen patient and um, that she felt that it was her duty uh, to volunteer to try and make things better and to want to make change. That really rang true for me. And I think, too, I think we struggle um, a lot with what to call ourselves, right? Because we do have sort of our professional worlds and what we've done prior to sort of our lived experience or after our lived experience. And I like the idea of independent. It means that you're not necessarily uh, tied with one set of vision and values and mission. Uh, And citizen patient and the fact that she does think uh, it's an act of citizenship and that we all should kind of be, it's our responsibility to take our lived experience and, and make change and help people make change in healthcare. Absolutely. And the strength in diversity, the many voices joining together. It's not just the power of one, but it's the power of people trying to make change together. That was amazing. And thank you also, uh, Bev, if I can just say this, to you, (laughs) Uh my co-host and producer, for that remarkable uh, story that you told at the end about staying curious, uh, sharing your connections, and 
finding purpose out of uh, the tragedy of your daughter's death. What an extraordinary conversation we've had. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. I think we've all been there, obviously, in that room um, with Carolyn. I think uh, one thing that we're noticing or one thing I'm noticing in our conversations with everybody that we're talking to is that we all have a personal story. Yes. Uh, you know, no bigger, no greater than the other. It all yes. has uh, importance and it can all have impact. So I'm loving this. This, this was a great, great uh, interview. And uh, Carolyn is going to be um, speaking about the patient revolution in health professional education, a citizen patient uh, disrupting the hidden curriculum um, through UBC and introducing her lived experience. Yes. And it's through, I think you can find her at, uh, at Carolyn Canfield on okay. Twitter, uh, but it's October 15th at 5 p.m. Eastern. Yay. Uh, and there's a link online if people want to go and check it out. But I think it's really, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Well, thank you, Bev. And thank you, Carolyn. The privilege was ours. Thank you for joining Sportcast today. We hope you will be inspired to get involved and create your own impact through patient engagement in patient-oriented research and help healthcare research be more relevant and meaningful. If you'd like to get in touch with us and learn more, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spore underscore cast. That's spore, S-P-O-R underscore cast, C-A-S-T, hashtag sporecast. We can also be reached via email at sporecast1 at gmail.com or visit our website, www.sporecast.ca.